We're back with Jerry, and today we're going to talk about making the case. Now, not necessarily the case, that oral case you make right before you ask for a gift in the meeting, but the written case, a more formal case that you would make in advance. So, Jerry, what do you want to share with us yeah, today? Yeah, good. Most people, when they think of a case statement, think of a capital campaign. But I think every institution, every organization ought to have a written case for why they want to raise money, why money is important. And people don't get up saying, I want to give money away. They want to give to organizations that are really important, that are creating results, that are making things happen. Every donor wants to know why should I give to this organization? Why this project? Why now? And why me? And there ought to be a case statement to answer those questions. And so that becomes so important. And what I wanted to do in this session was not talk about the mechanics so much because I'm not a good writer, but I have some feeling about what ought to go into a case statement. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about that. For instance, I'm always asked, how long should a case statement be? Well, it should be as long as it needs to be. Not one page longer, not one page shorter. It needs to be as long as necessary. The important thing about a case statement is that it ought to grab a reader with the title. The title of a case statement should be so exciting that you simply have to turn the page and get into the first paragraph. And then the first paragraph ought to force you to read the whole document. And a two-page case statement that's not well-written will not be read. And a 10-page, 15-page case statement that's exciting will be read. So how do you make it exciting? Keep in mind the objective of a case statement is that it must be read. And if you print it, the designer must know that design cannot get in the way of the written material. So I give you permission to use prepositions. I think the case statement ought to be on the level of about a sixth or seventh grade because it needs to be read and it needs to be something the reader is comfortable with. So I give you permission to use prepositions, split infinitives, and or but. I like, I love single word sentences or even single word paragraphs. I say that adds so much zest to the case. Avoid adverbs. They tell the story about the great editor of the Washington paper. I forget his name now. He said to a new reporter, if you want to use an adverb, 
for a story, call my office, arrange for an appointment, come up to the sixth floor, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> Adverbs make your verbs sweat. Hmm. Such an interesting point. I never thought about this. Yeah, make I'm them. I'm going to have to look at my writing and see. Yeah, I'm a great, great advocate. Or you can use contractions. And the word that, for instance, look at all your material. You're going to find that mostly the word that can be deleted. I have an editor who has cured me of that issue over the last few years. Yeah. Of the unnecessary that. Yeah. There are many of them that yeah. seep in. And it makes the sense so much stronger. Yes. Um, so obviously no jargon. Right, no jargon. Exactly. None of these these highfalutin words. And then there's the question, and I say don't fret about it. Is it who or is it whom? And you will find as you read your material that you can delete the word and it makes the sentence stronger. John Brown, Senator, who did thus and so? Now, another way of saying that, John Brown, who was senator, of whom they said, you can eliminate the word who or whom, and it actually makes the sentence stronger. I believe in short sentences. I look at some cases that have been written where the sentence is actually 50 or 60 words long. You can crack a tooth on a size sentence. A sentence should be five to eight words long. I like a paragraph that's two or three sentences, no longer than three. And that keeps the reader going. I'm a great believer in one-syllable words. So go over your material and read it to see if you can make changes. For instance, and I'll close with this because what I've said, the objective of the case is that it be read. They asked an author, what do you delete? And he said, you delete all the parts people won't read. Churchill was a master at one word, one syllable words. We shall go to the end. We shall fight in France, we shall fight on the seas and in the oceans. We will fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. And we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if which I do not remotely believe, this little island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving. Then our empire, beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on a struggle until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, stepped forth to rescue the liberation of the old. Now, that was that was Churchill's, one of his 
great, great speeches, which helped turn the war around and give comfort to the English people. That had 171 words, only 19 out of the 171 were one syllable. Were more than one syllable. Yeah. Only 19 of them. Yeah. Wow. And let me close. I think I brought it. Now, if this doesn't keep your pulse going, nothing will. In Lincoln's second inaugural address, he said, Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may pass away with malice toward none and charity for all. And the most eloquent of all of that were his last sentences. And the war came. Now, out of 701 words, 505 were one syllable, and 12 were two syllables or more. So you see how important this single word, the power of it. You know, it's fascinating that when we... I used the word that, which I probably didn't need. When we started talking, I thought you were going to go in a different direction about what makes it compelling. Um, and you talk about not yourself being, quote, a great writer, but it shows where the simple mechanics, not getting too ahead of ourselves or thinking too grandly about the need for a fancy word, that that's as important as anything else in having a absolutely and giving the donor access to it. Yeah. What I would say to your listeners, you need a case for a capital campaign, but I need a case also for why it should give to you annually. Why the organization? Why the project? Why now? Why me? And you've got to answer that. Every donor wants to know that. Sometimes I go to an organization and I say, why do you need money? You probably ask the same question. Why do you need money? What are you raising money for? Well, we just need more money. Right. That's not good enough. I tell you what's not good enough also. If somebody has been giving you, let's say they've been giving you $10,000 a year for the last eight years. Well, what a friend. Isn't that great? But then I also know you haven't done anything to try to increase their giving. And so I need a document that will tell the story about why more funds are necessary. And it's not about the institution. The institution doesn't need more money. Those who are served have greater needs. That's why the money is necessary. Now, this question about capital versus annual is an interesting one, and maybe we'll cover it in our next talk, uh, because I think many fundraisers are challenged asking for annual fund gifts and going back year after year to ask for them. So I think that will be our next topic. Okay, good. Great. So thank you again, Jerry.